listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McLeany at the buzzer. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's gonna be scary. Not for us. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room your home for all things Houston Hoops. I am one of your hosts, Chris, and you can find me on Twitter at ChrisMCGmedia. And I'm your second host, Britt, and you can find me on Twitter at BrittRobotista, that's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A, and be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at ClutchCityCR, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. All right, Britt, uh, game four just wrapped. We've got a lot to discuss so let's dive right in. And the first thing that I want to discuss with you, first place I want to start is, I think, the Daniel House situation and and what's going on with there. So uh, everybody's got a lot of questions about the entire situation, what's going on, what what are the potential ramifications now and in the future. So can you start us off by giving us a rundown of the timeline of the situation of what's been made available. Yes, of course I can do that. So I'm going to take a lot of this information from the Space City Scoops article that um, one of our contributors at Clutch City Control Room at, and at the Launchpad podcast, um, Anthony Duckett, um, wrote. And I, I think there was an initial discussion that was um, sort of made during the last podcast, but there weren't. Um, we didn't get as much information as we have gotten in the last, really the last 12 to 18 hours. So I'm going to recap it all and then hopefully we can, you know, have a subjective <laughs> discussion about what's going on with what we know. So the first thing that we know is that uh, um, initially uh, it seems as though a participant within the bubble use telephone line that is used to notify people of when uh, or notify the NBA when there is an in fact fraction of the rules. Um, Commonly the known as yep. the, the snitch hotline. <laughs> yes. So uh, like you said, the snitch hotline that is used. Um, according to the NBA, it had actually been used multiple times before to say that the Rockets had done something, but um, the NBA had concluded previously that there, those were um, not um, valid uh, cases. But this time, it seems that the NBA has actually determined that this could be a valid case. So uh, just to recap, over Monday evening to Tuesday morning, supposedly a woman um, entered the Rockets um, Hotel um, and had received permission. This um, per, this woman, which I'm not going to say their name or say her name, even though that there are some Twitter accounts who have indicated who it is, 
they, um, she was authorized to enter the facility because she worked as a member of either CDC or the general um, Florida um, health agencies that are in charge of doing testing um, for the for the Rockets as well as for the entire NBA during the NBA bubble. Um, she entered the hotel and had and was able to access multiple of the um, check zones that the NBA had set up. Um, I guess the NBA along with the Disney resorts set up um, to ensure that only um, authorized individuals are able to access certain areas. Um, then uh, um, the NBA indicated that um, Daniel House had allegedly um, opened his door um, at a certain time during uh, while um, this woman had entered the um, facility. Um, and um, since they allegedly had a similar time in which the door opened and this person had entered the um, facility, then they are indicating that he may have um, allowed her to enter the room. Um, the one um, thing that uh, is sort of interesting about this is that one that's the only circumstantial evidence that is being suggested and they're only and they said that it may have happened and then two um there is a few other things that are sort of suspicious about the situation um namely that one of the first people who reported this wasn't actually a reporter himself but a person who is a part of the inner circle for the Lakers, um, Lakers, and particularly LeBron James. His um, username at Twitter is our Cuffs Legend, and what he said, and I'm quoting from his um, account, he said, "Daniel House, um, misspelling Daniel. Um, he spelled it as Daniel. Um, knows better than try than trying to do that in the bubble. Wow, lol." Um, the issue, and this was posted at 9:01 p.m. on September 8th. The issue is that this comment was actually posted hours before um, the initial tweet that was sent out um, by, I believe it was, um, I guess, Chris, do you remember who um, it um, who was who sent who was the newsbreaker? I guess the journalist who was the newsbreaker. I, I know that the news broke for it all i mean there were a bunch of journalists that kind of threw it all out there at once i know Woj had it shams had it and then of course oh there were a couple of others as well but yeah i mean there were there were a couple of them that all broke it at the same time and that's when kind of the flood of of information and speculation i think really started to come in about what was going on mm -hmm. yeah so with Cuff saying that before even the news media had announced it, I mean, it's not unusual for him to have previously released news stories um, related to LeBron. Um, he has sort of done that in the past, um, but to, you know, sort of release a story about someone else on another team who was in a hotel that ha was not the same one that the Lakers were in is very interesting to keep in mind, especially since the Lakers um, slash, you know, LeBron's team is currently playing the Rockets in a seven-game series, um, which the Rockets are currently now down 3-1, um, but we'll discuss that a little bit later on. So We absolutely the, will. <laughs> so, the, you know, more or less over the last couple of days, um, you know, we initially um, heard that um, House was going to be out 
for game three only for personal reasons, as well as Tyson Chandler for um, quote unquote personal reasons. Um, we now also know that the Rockets, because of these allegations, were um, isolated and forced to remain in their hotel for Tuesday. Um, and that may have or may not have consisted of them not even having practice for that day um, after the fact, um, or at least not having one of the practices for that Tuesday after the fact, because they were um, the NBA that is was concerned that the players could have interactions with Daniel House. And if Daniel House had touched, you know, had interactions with a woman for in whatever capacity, um, you know, that could be a potential violation or who a woman that he does not know, or at least does not is not married to or has a long or existing relationship with. Um, that means that that could potentially be a person who is contacted who had, may have been contacted with COVID. Um, so, uh, so let me stop there. And um, I guess, Chris, what are you thinking, um, you know, as I talk about this initial part? Well, I think there's a lot to unpack here, and you've touched on a lot of it. The The first thing is that the league seems to have admitted that the only thing that they have in particular against House is circumstantial evidence. Now, I'm all for taking whatever precautions are necessary. However... We are in the middle of the second round and house. I, I don't think we can understate the impact that he's had for this team. Let me preface this by saying that I believe that the, the health and the safety and the well-being of all of these players absolutely comes before the product on the floor. That being said, based off of the timeline of what we've had, this has certainly been a very strange incident that the Rockets players, the Rockets coaches, the Rockets fans, and the NBA fandom in general has had to cope with. Now, it, if I remember correctly, I believe that Coach Dan Tony at some point said that he himself wasn't aware that House was going to be out on Tuesday night until right before the game tipped. When the Twitter account that you spoke of, Cuffs the Legend, sent the tweet, his knowledge of the of this situation seems to have, based off of what I can tell, coincided with about the same time the coaches would have found out. I don't think that it's super weird that he beat some of the reporters to this because they may just not have had a chance to truly find out what was going on until after the game had wrapped and were able to get some more information. But I do find it interesting that uh, presumably LeBron himself, since that's who Cuffs seems to have an existing relationship with, I do find it weird that LeBron had this information at what appears to be the same time as the Houston coaches and found the time to pass that off to a personal friend of his. I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy. I don't want to go down that road. I just find the timeline of this to be 
just weird. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily say fishy, anything like I, but it's been weird. And even, even Lakers fans in their heart of hearts, I believe have to admit that it's weird. Now, We've seen some players have to leave the bubble for the quote-unquote personal reasons when they come back, depending on how long they were gone, what protocols they followed. They would be subject to a four-day quarantine before being able to rejoin the team. This is what I wanted to talk to you about. Based off of the timeline, if the woman entered House's room allegedly, on Monday night, then that would put a four-day quarantine on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Obviously, that puts him missing Tuesday night's game and tonight's game, which we saw would happen, but it would have him available for Saturday's game. Just on a macro level, I wanted to ask you two things. Number one, do you believe that he'll be back for Saturday's game? And, And number two, and I hate to even ask this, but I feel like it has to be asked, does it matter if he's back? So I would say that I am really not sure if he will be back for Saturday's game. Um, I think when we, one of the things I did not mention is that once the second game, as in um Game four came into jeopardy for um, House, which we eventually, of course, know that he was at, unable to play. Um, the, um, the National Basketball Players Association, the union, the players union, um, was it seemed like they were notified. Um, they may have been notified before. Um, maybe they knew as soon as game three, um, but they were definitely, you know, sort of notified and um, various reports said that they were involved with the negotiations when it came to game four. Um, the, you know, you mentioned that for the most part, most of the players have had a four day quarantine period, um, but we also know that there can be as long as a 10-day quarantine period. If it's 10 days, then, of course, House is gone for the Western Conference semifinals. Um, and ultimately, we most likely won't see him for the, you know, at the rest of the series. Um, as for if, if it matters, I, I, I think it will depend on if the Rockets are willing or able to, you know, sort of get over whatever mental issues that they're having in regards to this situation. Um, And I think we can probably talk about a a little bit more in segment two, but um, needless to say that um, tonight's game was definitely a very demotivating um, game to sort of Um, you know, take a positive analysis either way, even if house was made available um, after, you know, whatever quarantine period that the NBA has um, seen fit for him. Absolutely. And I, I I think this is actually, you set up a perfect transition here. Um, I want to get into Game four specifically with you. I want to look at this series as a whole so far and get some of your thoughts and opinions on it. So before we get to our first break here, are are there any overriding opinions on the house situation that you wanted to go ahead and 
and get in there? Is there anything left for you to say on the situation? Because it just it is one of the weirder things, and I know it's hard to articulate sometimes how you feel on the inside into a microphone, but I know that I think I would probably speak for a lot of Rockets fans here when I say that I just want a resolution to the situation. Good or bad, it would just be nice to have some finality. So I, I, do you, I'm, I'm sure you probably agree, but I don't want to put those words in your mouth. So how do you feel about it? I agree. Finality is probably the best word to say it. And I know that you were um, trying not to say that it was fishy, but I would say that this was definitely and is very obviously a extremely fishy situation to me. Um, I know that I have, you know, a lot of bias because I am of course a Rockets fan, but the, you know, sort of the bottom line is that if the NBA determines that this is a, you know, a false positive that, you know, it was just a coincidence that his door opened, he was doing something else and that they're, you know, basically holding him out for nothing. Um, I mean, Rockets fandom on Twitter tonight was in an uproar, you know, even though we had, you know, barely anything besides what we know right now as to what happened. Um, I can't imagine if, you know, the NBA does, uh, you know, a about face and says that, you know, they apologize for the situation. I think the other thing that sort of makes me really sad about this is that there have been a number, a number of women um, besides the person who is, um, you know, initially involved in the situation that have been impacted by this situation. Um, Taylor Rooks, um, who is one of the reporters, um, in the bubble right now has been, you know, sort of um, it has been impacted by um, people making really nasty and, um, you know, honestly slanderous um, accusations that she was doing things with people in the bubble. And that's been completely sickening and disgusting in my eyes um, to hear that multiple times, not just with Daniel house, but a number of other players that I have to strictly and, um, viciously condemn that for you know if that's from rockets twitter or anywhere else it's disgusting to me um and then i also feel absolutely awful and heartbroken for daniel house's family especially his wife who is having to deal with um the situation regardless of whether or not he had done it um for the nba to you know they really have dropped the ball when it comes to this coverage and she has had to you know basically um you know most likely, you know, her um, her kids are relatively young and most likely all of them are in school at this point, if I remember correctly. So she's having to handle that along with, you know, um, having to talk remotely with a husband that she's not even sure what's really going on. So I, I feel like ultimately, you know, who knows what happened with um, Daniel House, but the replications of this situation and how it's being handled is just, you know, it, it, it really puts a really disgusting pit in my stomach. And I, 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 that's the one thing that I really don't like about it. That's very well said. I, I will, I will be in 100% agreement with you on this there. And this isn't new. This is something that we've struggled with for a while, but especially it seems in in generally the sports culture, but there's just no room for some of the 
vile things that get said based upon sex, race, religion, anything like that. There's just no room for that in the discourse. And, and hopefully we can clean it up going forward. And, and I do feel for House's wife, especially because, I mean, this is America and I don't want to get preachy here, but, you know, it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And so far, it doesn't look like they're anywhere close to proven House guilty of anything. But we will find out, I'm sure, hopefully within the next 24 hours, if not definitely before Saturday's game, what is going to be the ultimate determination on House. And we'll just have to go from there. So... You know, coming up on the other side of the break, I do, like I said, I want to talk to you about game four. And so hopefully you've been able to collect your emotions a little bit. So uh, I think now is the best time for our first break. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Support for this podcast comes from AT&T. All right. So there are a lot of reasons to like AT&T 5G. Check this out. My friend Lisa, who is a professional race car driver and base jump wingsuit enthusiast, likes AT&T 5G because it's fast. My friend Terry, who's a bodyguard who once also wrestled a hyena when he got too close to his client on safari, likes AT&T 5G because it's secure. And my friend Sasha, who's a librarian and hasn't missed a day of work in 27 years, Ooh, not even that time she broke both her legs and had the measles, likes AT&T 5G because it's reliable. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's fast, secure, and reliable. And now nationwide. AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires a compatible plan. 5G may not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for 5G coverage details. And we're back here at the Launchpad, presented by Clutch City Control Room. Well, Chris, um, I guess it's now time to talk about that game four that we have been alluding to this entire podcast. Um, what are your do, thoughts about it? First of all, do we have to talk about it? <laughs> it uh, seems like it's unfortunately the case. We probably should at least for a couple minutes. No, we, we definitely should because I think there are a few things that are, that are worth noting here. Not all of them necessarily good. Unfortunately, I think the first thing that we have to talk to or talk about here is with everything going on with House that we touched on in the first segment, this was mentioned in our group chat earlier this evening, and I don't remember which one of our colleagues said it. I wish I could give credit to the right person, but before the game tipped, somebody put out there that tonight's game would really kind of define this series for the Rockets because they had, they had two choices here. They could either fold or they could show up and represent not only for themselves, for the team, but also for House himself if they if they truly believed he was innocent and, and just going through this for no reason. And what we got was about as flat of a Rockets performance as you could possibly get, I would say for probably, what, the first 42 minutes of the game, Britt? Does that sound yeah. about right? Yeah, no, you're definitely right. It, it was probably the most defeated I have seen a team who still had op an opportunity to tie a series that, that I've seen in a very long time. I mean, it was 2-1 coming into tonight's game. 
but it felt like the series was over and it, it's no secret I'm not primarily a Rockets fan and so I don't you know there, there's there's things that I might throw out there that might be contrarian to the way some Rockets fans feel but tonight was rough to watch just as a pure fan of basketball because you have two guys out there, Harden, Westbrook, who at their best, they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. And yet tonight we saw we saw lack of hustle in some areas. But I think the biggest thing that, that really sh- shone through tonight – was just all of the lapses on defense. So many backdoor cuts for wide open layups, losing your man on an inbounds pass. I mean, we saw basically every possible bad defensive play that one team could potentially make. And it seems like it was all crammed in tonight, into tonight's game. But what frustrates me, Britt, and, and I know this has to frustrate you too, is that despite how disgusting this game was from basically the opening tip for the Rockets in the last half of the fourth quarter, the Rockets turned it on and, and really it was a, it was too little too late, but I mean, if they play that way the whole game, it almost seems like there's no way they don't walk away with a victory there. And it's gotta be frustrating as a Rockets fan. So, what was your biggest takeaway from the game? Um, I guess for – I have been, you know, sort of thinking about this for the last, you know, couple of hours since the game ended. And I feel as though – well, you know, just to back up a little bit, I, you know, I was on this podcast previously – um, during game five when the of the Thunder series when the Rockets had a very disappointing and you know sad conclusion to that game um, but I was very much optimistic about that you know that opportunity the game was relatively close they were able to sort of overcome some you know relatively annoying um, defensive lapses um, and they almost won that game but unfortunately they did not um, this game, on the other hand, I feel like I am dejected in a way that I haven't felt since the um, game seven of the 2018 series. Um, I know, you know, in my head and, you know, logically that they still have a game to go um, when it comes to this series, but just the way that they came out for like you said, about 42 minutes of the game of the 48 minutes of the game was just disheartening. And in a way that I don't think I can articulate any better than just saying disheartening. Um, And you're right. um, You're also right that it was just, I, I wouldn't say infuriating. It was just like disappointing that they were able to turn it on at the last minute. Um, you know, and, you know, too little, too late. Um, I was saying in the group chat, I mean, it it was just like, oh, you know, they're, you know, tempting me with caring about this game again, um, as they were, you know, sort of actually climbing back. Um, And that is the thing that sort of makes me just 
really sad. I think that's the, maybe if I could encapsulate everything into a single word, it would be just sad. Um, The team has the talent and they have, you know, I know some people don't like Mike D'Antoni. I know that there are a lot of detractions that he has shown as a, you know, a person who has, um, you know, been coaching for you know decades at this point but i i feel as i feel especially i guess sad for him that you know he had to watch his team basically not try for a significant amount of the game and um i i guess one other thing i want to mention is that the officiating for the game was absolutely dreadful i know people are going to say like oh this is just rockets fans whining and complaining about the same thing but honestly like at what point do we have to discuss that there are some officials who just do like it, it's just like maddening that there isn't a consistency in officiating like we should not have the same people be on our lips every single time that we have a game with the rockets like i wish i could just say like oh the rockets failed at this because they failed and of course that is part of it and of course people will just say oh they're just you know losers james harding doesn't do anything they all gave up but at the same time like why are we watching in the you know Harden do a Euro step and then official calling an elbow when he didn't have an elbow or on the other end, LeBron James, like literally not even being touched and getting a, uh, a touch foul call, you know, called for him. Those are things that really just make me mad. So I, I don't know, like at this point, I'm just disappointed and I'm actually surprised I'm talking about this game more than I thought I would. I, I'm just, it's just sad to me just sad well you know once the top comes off you know it, the words just flow and you become <laughs> you've become quite a wordsmith on the mic tonight but i, I want to throw this out there I, I will say i generally don't like to have the referee discussion not so much because i don't want to hold the referees accountable because i, I absolutely do think they should be held accountable The reason I don't like having the discussion is because professional sports leagues, and this goes beyond just the NBA, this is the NFL too, and to an extent, you know, I'm I'm sure some of the other major sports in the U.S., I don't watch as much baseball or hockey, to be honest with you, but the umpires seem to have been able to get away with a level of accountability that is far less than what fans desire. Now, if it makes you feel any better, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan, and my team was subjected to what I believe was the worst non-call in the history of the NFL in a game that decided who was going to the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you care about football. We haven't had that discussion yet but I've never been more upset at officiating than I was right there. Like, and I know this isn't a football podcast, but I want to, I just want to put it in context for some of the Rockets fans here, because I know exactly when you said earlier that you want the discussion, if the Rockets lose, you want the discussion to be about how the Rockets lost it and not about the officiating. And the, the Saints played 
the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs the year before the non-call. And in that playoffs, the Vikings on the last play of the game hit a bomb to Stefan Diggs for a touchdown. They win the game. The Saints go home. And I was upset. I mean, felt like I'd had my heart ripped out. But it was the fault of my team. There was nobody for me to point the finger to other than my own players. The following year, the exact opposite. We're in position to win. Clear foul, no call. Our team ends up losing in overtime. And at that point, you point to the refs and you say, it hurts so much more because you know that your team could have won and it wasn't your team that prevented it. And... So I I think it just, I'm sure you would probably agree, it hurts a lot more when forces outside of the control of your team seem to rip your heart out. Yeah, and I think accountability is a very good word to use. The last few years, um, you know, more recently with 2018 um, Western Conference Finals with the Golden State Warriors, and then, you know, a few other incidents that I'd rather just not recount because I think we've all sort of heard them and had arguments about them. So I I just want to get to the point that, you know, it, it just, as a Rockets fan, it's hard for me at times to, you know, sort of get completely upset about the team when it seems like there's a lack of accountability for, you know, one third of the branch of, you know, pretend government that the NBA has, you know, there's the commissioner office, there's the players, and then there's these officials. And we don't hear the accountability as to why these sort of events are happening so frequently um, with, you know, teams in this nature. And, um, I mean, honestly and seriously, I would rather just say like, hey, the Rockets lost because they were completely horrendously bad on defense. They were blowing coverages and that they were, you know, missing assignments, you know, that there was one instance, I think it was either late third quarter, or early fourth quarter, all of it just sort of blends at this point when I'm pretty sure it was Rondo who, um, you know, he got a pass from either um, Anthony Davis or from LeBron and then there was a completely clear path to the basket and no one actually got the, to him. Yep, I know the play that you're talking about. It's where he, he caught the ball out beyond the, the three-point line and definitely looked like he was expecting the defense to come. And when they didn't, it was a walk-in layup. Yeah. And at that point, I think that's when you kind of knew that it was game over for the Rockets tonight. And as much as I hate to say it, I, I do think that – That about sums up game four. And so that actually brings me to the next topic of conversation that I wanted to have here with you, Britt, because I I know we've only got a few minutes left. So I want to try to squeeze this in while we can. And that is we've now seen four games between the Rockets and the Lakers. Game one, obviously, a Rockets win. Then games two through four were Rockets losses. But can you briefly touch, despite – the end result. Can you touch on some of the things that you've seen throughout this series that have really worked for the Rockets and and then briefly touch on some of the things that where they're falling short and, and where they could definitely stand to improve if they're going to, you know, come back from three, one down. 
Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm going to try to brush past the game four situation just to say, like, just in general. I think for, you know, during the times that they actually were conscious to play defense, they have been absolutely, absolutely remarkable. They are able to, you know, when they are w willing and able to, you know, actually box out folks, try to get rebounds on both the offensive and defensive end, um, compete against Anthony Davis and LeBron James and, you know, sort of, you know, not allow those easy layups like the Rondo example earlier. They are able to get, through and get to those, you know, get the points that they're needing um, relatively easy. Uh, but that's the frustrating bit is that they, especially the last three games, there have been inexcusable defensive lapses that have infuriated me and most likely have infuriated all of Rockets, you know, Twitter and just Rockets fandom in general. Um, there are moments that I can see the, you know, the, the brilliance of the Rockets through the play of Harden and Westbrook, um, but especially and especially in game four, I saw how unmotivated and disinterested that they have both been. And that has been some of the most rage-inducing parts of this series. Um, Harden tonight was unexcusably passive, um, and I'm usually a strong opponent for Harden. I think a lot of times he gets a lot of hate and dislike that is unjustifiable considering how well he has been as a player. Um, but, I'll, you know, tonight, it can't be excused what he did. He, ha he really did nothing, and i feel as though, you know, even with, I, I understand he's getting doubled and triple teamed. He is, you know, not getting easy looks and people are sort of ignoring that. But at the same time, you know, some of that has to land on D'Antoni and not, you know, making the corrections necessary to allow for Harden to get out. And then Harden also has a responsibility to get himself in better positions. And I know that he can do it. Um, the same thing with Westbrook. Um, why am I even saying Westbrook's name incorrectly? I'm getting a little bit too mad at this point. But the same thing with Westbrook. They're both MVPs. I, it's not excusable what they're doing um as for the rest of the team i i, I don't know like i i'm you know pj tucker didn't score a single point in the amount of you know that i'm not i actually don't have the box score um up but he played you know much more than 20 minutes and not scoring at all that's not excusable austin rivers has looked like a joke quite frankly this entire series um eric gordon has been good in you know sort of um you know certain um aspects but he regressed on his threes once again and just looked you know awful in some possessions um we're missing daniel house but you know there's people i mean i hate to be 
um, whoosh, uh, whoosh right now, but um, Damari Carroll is on the bench, you know, not doing anything right now, and he didn't get any minutes, um, if I recall correctly. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, this is probably a little bit further along, and I think probably the next question is, can they even, you know, get back into the series? Um, it's going to ultimately fall on them like do they care about you know Mike D'Antoni are they wanting a coaching change do they care that half their team will most likely either walk or be traded um potentially Maury would be out the door do they care if Harden is going to you know win a ring or you know PJ Tucker, especially since, you know, he's 35, I think approaching 36 and probably doesn't have too many years left. So all those questions and more are things that we're having to once again discuss because the Rockets have put themselves in a significant hole. Um, and I can feel my anger rushing up. So let me sort of stop there. So I'm not getting even more, you know, heated at this point. And I completely understand where you're coming from, and I do want to get this in here quickly. The shooting throughout this series from the Rockets has been at an acceptable level. It's at a level that they can win a lot of regular season games with. If they, to me, if they hope to stand any chance in coming back from down 3-1 and winning this series – the blueprint is in game one. I know a lot of times you learn a lot more from your losses than you do your wins, but game one was the blueprint because in game one, they had the hustle and the defense and they had, they had that dog in them and they were, they had 13 steals. They're jumping passing lanes. They were the tougher team on the court that night and it showed in the result, and it showed what they can do against this Lakers team. They have struggled against the trap defense that the Lakers like to employ in the second half of these games. Harden is smart enough to where he knows what he's doing against these traps, but it has taken the ball out of his hands, and so he needs the players around him to elevate because he's not going to be able to do it on his own. He needs the help. And going into game five on Saturday, I mean, tonight wasn't an elimination game, but Saturday is. And so last question before we get out of here, Britt, I know that you haven't had a lot of time to decompress from tonight's game, but can I get a prediction on you on what we might see on Saturday? Just a a brief little win loss and what does it look like okay i i know that you probably want an exact answer but i'm going to be sort of vague about this once again um the rockets back in 2015 during the Clippers series they lost game four 128 to 95 they looked similarly as awful as they did tonight um maybe more so but you know at this point my feelings towards that series are definitely more positive because of the ending um and we don't know what's going to happen now so as for this series and as for game five the rockets 
I think they have just as much of a chance as any other. Like you said, as long as, you know, if they can bring back the defense that they have in game one, they have as much of a chance as any other team. And honestly, um, it may be a little bit of my lingering um, optimism that remains for the Rockets franchise um, um, that I am slowly losing, but I think that they have that dog in them. The question is, do they care? And that will, you know, certainly be answered on Saturday. It will absolutely be answered on Saturday for good or for bad. But that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you guys haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and chemistry of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.